You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. I am up to bat this afternoon for, for teaching preaching. Uh, Charlie knew I was coming, so he said, what I'd rather you do is uh, have most of the work be out here with you guys, which is why you have a page before you. Uh, but I'm not going to talk about that immediately just yet, so you do have to listen to me for a few minutes before you get to go to your page. But Charlie is taking care of you guys and has limited my talk time. Uh, we are going to first talk about something called the church calendar. Uh, I think there's probably a mixture, a spectrum of how familiar we are uh, with the church calendar. By show of hands, if you are familiar with church calendar-ish, okay. Awesome. So that's about what I expected. Where I grew up uh, and how I grew up, I did not know about the church calendar. Uh, We we did not uh, talk about it, did not utilize it. I knew that Easter was a big holiday and Christmas was a big holiday. I didn't know that there was like a thing in which those are like part of one full year, a way of keeping time. I had no awareness of that. Uh, It is uh, a tradition that's rooted uh, more firmly in the Catholic Church. So if you were, uh, if you grew up in the Catholic tradition or maybe had a friend, maybe you learned by proximate uh, through them. But the church calendar is just a way of keeping or marking time. Charlie, a couple of weeks ago, talked about the Passover. It was an annual feast that the people of God would keep every year. At the beginning of the the year, they would have the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover, and they would uh, sort of reenact the events of the exodus of Egypt, right? They do that to remember, to be sort of restoried into the fact that God had rescued them and delivered them as a people. So every year they repeat that. It's a drama that they act out every single time, and it marks the beginning of each new year to form them uh, as the people of God, to form them in their identity, to remind them of God's great grace and kindness toward them, and of their calling then uh, as people who have received not only the Ten Commandments, but all of the law, and who have made this covenant with God, that this is the way that they are to to live now. So the church calendar functions similarly to that. It's something that we kind of inherited from them. I use as a common image for it uh, Harry Potter usually. There's multiple examples that you could use for that. Think of your favorite book slash movie combo. so I would probably put Lord of the Rings one, but Harry Potter seems more universal. Uh, we don't have a ton of smaller people in here, so we could probably go more Lord of the Rings. Oh, there's, we got, we got some. What's up, dude? You like Harry Potter? That's a big question. Sorry, in front of everybody. We'll talk later. Uh, so I use Harry Potter, but Harry Potter has both books, right, and movies. So there's two different ways into the story of Harry Potter. Uh, for me, I hadn't ever read the books. The movies came on TV one day at a, while we were in a hotel room at the Grand Canyon, of all places. So it's very cold outside. We had done our touring for the day. We came back in, and one movie was randomly on, started watching it, and then that turned into like watching the rest uh, in very fashion, right? You compress that into a small amount of time, and you get the whole story of Harry Potter through those movies. But as many people would say, including my wife, That's not the best way to encounter the story of Harry Potter. It's through the books, right? Uh, But they're both points of entry. The church calendar is kind of like that. So the Bible, the the story of the Bible, is one way to encounter the story of Jesus, right? The church calendar is another way of entering into the story of Jesus. 
So the church calendar centers around the life, uh, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So this Sunday marks the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is a season uh, which is focused on the coming of Christ. Historically, it was about his second coming. Now it's sort of moved to the front end of the church calendar and his birth. So before Christmas, right? Uh, that's fairly easy to get, guess what's going on there in terms of a, a hope for what's coming. The newness, I think Charlie has on the sign, newness is coming. So we're anticipating that, we're preparing for that. But it's the beginning of Jesus' story. We march through that with Christmas, his birth, epiphany, where it's revealed to the world that this is actually the Savior, Messiah. Uh, the wise men come to him, symbolizing the nations coming to him and recognizing him as king. Uh, then you hit what season? Anybody can give me, now that I'm in the middle of the calendar. Lent, yes. Lent, then the big one, Easter. All right, we're, we're growing on the church calendar, folks, here. We're going to get our quiz down here in a second. And the last, at the very end after Easter is before ordinary time. There's one more. No, Epiphany was earlier. Same color as Epiphany, though. There's a cool Pentecost. Yes. So we got Pentecost at the end and then ordinary time. You're correct. We just exited from ordinary time and entered into the the fun festivities of the church calendar year through Advent. But the reason why I march us through that is just to show that every event is connected to the life of Jesus. So this is a way of the church keeping time according to Jesus. Like Jesus is the hero of the story. Jesus is the center of all things. He's the crux uh, of history. Everything hinges on this reality. It's the clue to solving the mystery. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, you're saying, your argument is like, to make sense of the world and of human beings and everything else, Jesus is the clue. This is how you solve the riddle. And so we keep time according to his life. We enter into those events just like the Jews in the Passover. We reenact them to some degree uh, in various forms. Exhibit A, the table, right? Uh, so there's a way of being formed as God's people through this church calendar. So my job this evening was just to give you a brief introduction to that and maybe just say a bit about Advent now. So Advent, the seasons, one thing that I think is really cool in the church calendar, they all have colors. Uh, so for those of you who are artistic uh, and appreciate creative, creative things, maybe this will be meaningful. Uh, colors convey mood, or at least they can. Uh, and in this sense, that's how they're used in the church calendar. So if you look upwards here, uh, both, I guess, here on these uh, table slash altar and uh, to the right of the cross, back of the cross, you see the color, it's kind of like blue-violet. Blue-violet slash purple is sort of the color of Advent. The color is meant to convey a mood of that somewhat somber or serious, reflective. Uh, it's, it's meant to prepare you for the joy of Christmas. So Advent mirrors Lent. Lent's color, anybody know the color by chance? What would you guess that would be? Black. Black is the color of the season of Lent. And Easter's color is gold. Christmas color is white. But they, and Epiphany is green. Pentecost is green. So the pattern is mirrored throughout. I had a visual. Uh, but it's not there on the screen. Sorry. But ju just so you know, there's that movement of moods from that so somber, sort of reflective, serious piece in Advent and Lent into like the depths of joy and delight uh, and uh, life in Christmas and in Easter. So that's in 
it's on purpose, it's intentional, and it's a way of sort of affecting ourselves, not just by saying true things to our minds. This is primarily how I lived out my Christianity, I think, for a long time. I was just thinking about great truths or like learning about them in my, in my head. But the calendar's great because it, you encounter the truth not only through uh, sort of great axioms or principles or something of that sort, but you encounter it even through color, through a mood that's conveyed. You're being formed in some sense by that. Uh, Advent being purple, that somber seriousness. Uh, I think it's really cool that we are, we have this practice that you're invited into, it's not an expectation, uh, of the, the discipline of fasting. Fasting sort of gives us eyes to see maybe things that we were overlooking before, where there's a disconnect, uh, maybe between us and God or us and other humans. Like, what, how is our heart affected, essentially, by the fact that I don't have food? How do I respond to situations now that if there's an additional challenge or a little additional heat or pressure in the moment? Advent and Lent both are sort of like inventory time. We check and see in what ways is my life in tune, out of tune with the gospel and with Jesus? What ways is it in line or out of line? And, if, and the discipline of fasting helps me do that. It helps sort of poke at that a little more and expose it for where, where there are those disconnects between uh, how I'm living and how I ought to live, like what I know is like my calling uh, as a follower of Jesus and what I'm actually doing in the present moment. So I invite you to participate in that and to uh, have, I guess, invite the Spirit to work on that disconnect with you. That you might experience God's grace because you've experienced some awareness uh, of your, your own error, the error of your own ways, uh, something of your sinfulness, something of your weakness or your corruption. That sounds bad. Uh, those are things that we need to be confronted with so that we can receive grace, though. The only way Jesus gets bigger is if my view of my sinfulness gets bigger. Like, I, I can't get more of Jesus without sensing a need that I have for him and for his grace. So if I'm not confronted with that disconnect, then I have a hard time needing Jesus, reaching out to Jesus, moving toward him, receiving from him. I'm pretty self-sufficient. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, is going to confront that quite a bit, which we'll get to in a bit. But first, I'm going to pray and then have you guys read four passages from the lectionary. And the lectionary is deeply tied to the season. Uh, Charlie, if you want to go ahead and throw that slide up, I'll explain it in a bit. We'll pray first, uh, and then I'll maybe just give a few tips before I have you guys read. Father, love you. Thank you for your kindness toward us. Uh, even as a father who invites us to see the disconnect in our lives, uh, the difference between the way things are and the way things ought to be, uh, not because you, there's a, a sort of some focus on how we are bad, but so that we can receive your grace uh, in our weakness and in our failures, uh, in our errors, in our sinfulness, that we might learn to follow in the pattern of Jesus and his humility uh, learning to trust you, to submit our whole selves and to submit as a whole community uh, to your purposes, uh, even when that takes us into some hard places or puts us into some hard relationships, even when that asks us to do things that we really don't want to do. Uh, in this Advent season, we're asking for new grace to be obedient maybe where we haven't been before 
or where we haven't been in a long time. Uh, would you meet us here tonight and grant us that grace? We ask uh, in your name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so the passages you have before you are shaped by Advent. Uh, for scriptures, Psalm 122, Romans 13, 11 through 14, Matthew 24, 36 through 44, Isaiah 2, 1 through 5. Advent is historically tied to the, the story the, of the ten virgins. You guys know the story? Uh, they've got the, the lamps. Uh, they've got the lamps that need to be fueled by the oil, but only one of them has the oil to fuel sort of the, uh, for, through the whole night, the rest of them have to go get it from somewhere else and come back. And by the time they come back, what's happened? The door's closed, the, the thing has begun, the ceremony's begun, it's too late. You're on the outside looking in. You're not ready. And this is the text that sort of has been definitive for Advent uh, throughout history. Uh, it's a season of preparation. It's a warning to wake up, uh, to live in a manner that's appropriate to the time. Uh, I think in some sense, Romans 13 is a fulfilled time, Mr. Klopak, uh, in the sense that God has uh, fulfilled part of the vision in Isaiah through the coming of Christ and through Pentecost, uh, the nations represented who speak many tongues who have come to the Lord and who know him in some sense and know of his uh, making of things new and bringing together uh, but pe people in a mysteriously beautiful way that uh, sort of foreshadows that plowshares, I mean the swords into plowshares, not plowshares into swords. So uh, just to hit on a few of those, I want to focus just for a couple minutes on Isaiah 2 and maybe just make a final remark on that. So Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we, will walk, we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will, take up, will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. A beautiful passage, a vision that pretty much anyone and everyone can get behind, right? I want to be a part of that. So do the, the people of Judah and Jerusalem. The only problem is they know the chapter beforehand, which is about how everything is not good, essentially. That at a social level, they have not loved their neighbors that they ought to, and that looks a bunch of different ways, taking bribes, murdering, not defending the fatherless or the orphan, uh, the orphan or the widow. Uh, they've failed on so many fronts. Uh, their sacrifices are empty, so their religious affection for God, their love for God is not there. Uh, they are going to get to this vision ultimately, which is the beauty of Isaiah chapter 2, but the question is, how will they go from where they are, which is in shambles, to like this kind of people? How do you get from there to there? The answer is judgment, which is not a fun thing. Like, we'd like to have the vision without the judgment. And the Israelites, they would too. And that's how they've tried to have it for a while. They tried to go their own way, do their own thing, and still get all the good stuff from God, essentially, to, to make it very simple. Uh, the, the problem is that that's impossible. So they're, that, they're rubbing up against that, and now they're being confronted with that. The, 
the thing that I wanted to draw our attention to is like in this Advent season is for us to be confronted in that same way. Like how do we move from where we are to where we ought to be? And while the judgment can be a scary thing, it's actually a gracious thing. It's not the, the judgment is not the motivation for the Israelites living in the light. Like the wonder and the beauty of the vision and its greatness is the motivation for it. But you go through the rough thing to get to the beauty of the vision, of, of living fully as human beings. And so uh, that for us, I think, is our own call, like our own challenge in this evening, this season. How, do, how are we going to be honest, reflective during this season, in a somber, maybe serious season, to take inventory, to be confronted with those things so that we can lay down our pride and our arrogance, our self-sufficiency, doing things on our own as the Israelites had done, and instead turn to God. I think one of the beautiful things that we do every week that sort of embodies this very passage. So in verse 3, it says, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. He can't teach you the error of your ways, nor the beauty and goodness of his ways, unless you go up. You're going to have a hard time going up unless you're confronted with your sin and your error, and your wrongdoing. But being confronted, then there's this opportunity then to actually be taught how to truly live. And that's how our confession actually ends, which I think is so cool. We confess our sins, and then we say at the end that we can walk in your ways. Teach us the glory. Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm missing the lines. Someone give me the, the actual line. Now that I'm in this position, I'm like, uh, delight in your will and walk walk in your ways for the glory of your name. But so after we've said all these things, acknowledging exactly the same thing that Israel has to acknowledge, social sin, sin in relationship to God, they all fall apart, which according to Isaiah, they all go together. Idolatry, adultery, oppression, wrap them in a bundle. Not a good gift for Christmas, but something to be confronted with in Advent perhaps. Uh, these things go together, they're confronted with them, but in that confrontation, they're ready to receive grace. Isaiah himself is a picture of this he encounters the holy God in the passage that you know best. Isaiah chapter 6. Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. What's the solution? God in his grace asks the seraphim to touch his lips with the coal. You are purified from your sins. You are forgiven. Isaiah is equipped to do his calling as a prophet. Missio Dei. May we be confronted with our sins. May we see our own pollutedness, our own uncleanness before a holy God so that we might receive his grace and be equipped as his people for our calling in the world. It's a difficult task. So was Isaiah's. We need his grace so that we might live in the light. I'm inviting you to the table as an opportunity to experience that grace. Ryan and Jonathan will be serving us this afternoon. One of the cool things about Advent, we're talking about preparing for Jesus to come. One of the ways that Jesus comes to us every week is through his word, clothed in his word, but also through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. So Jesus, we're preparing for Jesus' coming, but we're also receiving Jesus coming to us now. This is the grace. And we're reading an Old Testament text, but uh, we're, we're also privy to a lot more information, right? We've experienced the cross and resurrection, which means we know that the judgment ultimately gets dealt to whom? Jesus bears it on our behalf. 
And it's to Jesus that we come now. It's Jesus that we encounter at this table to receive the grace we need to live, live as God's people. And this time, at this hour, to live as we ought. Let's say these words together, uh, and then we'll all come to the table. If you want to stand with me, and then we'll... Repeat with me these words for our communion table today. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Amen. You may come to the table.